Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rizak. This is the show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Spiritual wisdom is something that I have been fascinated with since I was a young man. Tales of spiritual enlightenment and the quest for deeper truth has long held my heartstrings. I remember one of the first books on mysticism that I read was Ram Dass's Be Here Now. Like it has for countless people over the decades, that book opened a door for me into the deeply mysterious nature of not only reality, but my own inner being. As a young man, I explored as many of the wisdom traditions as I could, comparing and contrasting. I was also drawn to philosophers and teachers that could elegantly synthesize the vast amount of information that I was being exposed to. There were mountains beyond my own small town upbringing, and my heart was seeking truth and moving me towards them. I would eventually go from my own traditions here in the West to Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta in India, back to Egypt, the Hermetic tradition, as well as Native American and other Earth-centered traditions. Along the way, there was Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and the myth of the Holy Grail. Each stop seemed to have spiritual truths to teach me and all seekers who came. And there seemed to be universal threads that ran through it all, and I kept eagerly seeking these divine patterns. The Gnostics were always mentioned in my travels. Here seemed to be a tribe that had intimate knowledge of the divine. For a Gnostic, there are techniques for direct communication with the sacred. Through prayer, meditation, and other techniques, a seeker could fine-tune his body, mind, and spirit to become a better two-way receptor for divine guidance and messages. And the more you can open yourself up to receive this information, the more you trust the process and are able to live from your deepest wisdom and truth. There are many ways up the mountain, as the mystics have said so often, and I am deeply grateful to all of our teachers, yours and mine, and the myths that we keep alive to help shine a light on our path. Even though our paths might be different, I see all the work you are doing and I am grateful for you. We will see each other a bit higher up the mountain, my friend. And my guest today is a mystically inclined, wonderful woman named Janelle Hartman. Janelle Hartman lives and serves in Seattle as education director at a naturopathic health clinic called the Tummy Temple. She spent a decade in social services working with homeless women where she turned to yoga for sanity and self-care. And this led Janelle to a long career of teaching yoga, which includes many years of offering classes to incarcerated men via the organization Yoga Behind Bars. Janelle has always been drawn to art, music, and mysticism as a means to navigate and integrate her journey. Here's my interview with Janelle Hartman. I'm here with Janelle Hartman. Janelle, welcome to Base Camp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Love it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you. Uh, The episode that we're doing is called um, Cultivating Spiritual Knowing. And I know that you're a practicing Gnostic, and it's Mm -hmm. something that I have come across more and more frequently. And I wanted to start off with a quote. This is by um, Manly P. Hall. Mm. And he says, myths can be spontaneously generated in response to spiritual and cultural needs, drawing on whatever material is available. In current times, there seems to be evidence of a fascinating, spontaneous flowering of a Gnostic viewpoint. Unquote. Uh-huh. And I thought that was a great way to kick us off as a practicing Gnostic. Uh, does this quote resonate with you? And, and then also, what is Gnosticism to you? What does it mean mm-hmm. to you to be a practicing mm-hmm. Gnostic? 
Yes, the quote resonates with me quite a bit uh, because this is really a uh, a doctrine of synthesis, and it's synthesizing all of these amazing myths and the the heart of all of these true world religions um, that we've seen throughout the ages, and um, generating spontaneous mythology. I would say in these times and places of old. Uh, people were using what was around them to wake them up. So like the different symbols and um, different masters um, that really matched what they were going through economically and mm-hmm. environmentally. And people were connecting to, to what was there. Uh, and, and then these days we have so much access to these mythologies. We have a, you know, we, we just, we're in an age of information. We're in the age of Aquarius. And so we can draw on these myths and the things that inspire us. And, and quite likely we're responding to places that we have lived and been in other lives. Mm-hmm. And so there's symbols that will speak to us. And truly um, all of these are pointing to this path of awakening and understanding. And they just have different archetypes Mm-hmm. Um, that are connected to them, but it's it's all the same path. It's like this string of pearls that runs through everything, like a golden thread. That's so beautiful. all of them to be respected. The, one of the things that I've noticed is and is a very attractive to me because I'm somebody that sort of reads and researches wide and far mm-hmm. um, in my curiosity is that there almost isn't a teacher that you can't access or work with in the Gnostic tradition. Like it, it, it could be Jesus. It could be Mary Magdalene. It could be ISIS or something in Egypt. Mm-hmm. It could be a modern master. It, it seems to me like Gnosticism, you said synthesis earlier. It seems like it's an allowing you to sort of be attracted to the spiritual truths that resonate with you, no matter where you're finding them or even what age they were in. It could be Atlantis. It could be, you know, the oldest Mm -hmm. teachings known and it's allowed. And that would be your exploration of Gnosticism. Is that correct? That is well said. And it's Mm -hmm. absolutely correct. It's absolutely correct. That inspiration um, can really come from anywhere because what matters, um, even in the, the word Gnosis is a Greek word that means, true understanding or, or alive understanding and knowing. Um, I think I mentioned when we spoke before that it's like, there's a, you know, a really um, simple, it's like there's a stack of books on riding a bike, but you have to get on the bike to really mm-hmm. understand it. So, you know, we can have all these things rattling around in our head, but, but what comes alive for us, what allows us to take it into our conversations, our relationships, our life, what wakes us up? Cause there's certainly everything could wake us up or put us to sleep. So let's mm-hmm. choose what makes us come alive. Right. Yeah. That's great. Is there is there a uh, a set of practices that you would practice as a Gnostic, or is that also a synthesis where you might have a nature based practice, or you might have yoga or a meditation, or mm-hmm. is there a central book, or is that also a synthesis where it's like you find the wisdom and you you integrate it in whatever way seems suited to you? Yeah, I, I think I'd start that by saying that even the, the word religion comes mm-hmm. from, a, it's a Latin re ligare, and the lig is like ligament, it, it rejoins. And so we can recognize that even in the word yoga, the relinking. So um, in coming back and, and reconnecting with that divine part of ourselves and purifying that part of ourselves, um, there's there's many types of practices. And practice is, is all important because if you're going to experience, you must integrate and practice these things. And in my tradition, um, we work with a, a just a, a beautiful rainbow, a variety of different 
ways of connecting. And uh, we do a lot of, of course, meditation and a lot of prayer. And meditation is is really, um, I feel, we, we draw a lot from the Vajrayana tradition of, of Buddhism, mm-hmm. um, where we, we in a, and in the eight limbs of yoga, in fact, as well, um, to to find this kind of a, a measured and well-practiced way of clearing and kind of coming back to that illuminating void, clearing mm-hmm. oneself out. And, and, um, and the prayer is actually then connecting into these forces that want to, so we're act, we're, we're opening up and becoming receptive, creating the space. And then we're, we're actually filling with and connecting to and projecting to, um, and reaching out for these other forces. Um, and so there's a, there's actually a, a direct connection to masters and to, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what we see as the divine inside in those archetypes. Um, we do a lot of book study. We do have a lot of books in my tradition. Um, and in fact, um, we gather and in groups and we, we go through the book slowly and we talk about it and not just talk about it intellectually, but, oh, how did we use this? Well, you know, the first thing we usually do, we spend time mm-hmm. gathering and talking about how those things came alive for us, you know, in the period of time that um, when we parted and met again. Um, we work with a lot of mantra. That's a really big mm-hmm. part is is using a lot of mantra. And the mantras come from all sorts of places because, mm-hmm. you know, mantra, you know, is a Sanskrit word, manas, the mind, and the tra was, is like that working and refinement. Um, uh, but there's mantras from um, South America. There's, you know, from the Aztec tradition, um, from the Mayans. There's Egyptian mantras, Sufi mantras. Mm-hmm. It's something that, that most of these traditions actually have is some type of singing or repeating of, of certain things to resonate and create that frequency. Um, uh, we work with art and music quite a bit, um, really revere and surrounding in our homes and, and exposing ourselves, um, going to art museums and going to these, these, um, places where the art is actually very uplifting and, um, has a has spiritual nature to it, and that can be you know for anybody that can be extracted from whatever art you're looking at, of course. But there are certain uh, masters um, from all these different places and all these different traditions that have created images that are very uplifting and will awaken the consciousness. And so to expose ourselves to those and let them impress into the consciousness is really really amazing. And then of course that might lead to then we practice dream work quite a bit and we recognize mm-hmm. the Tibetans had a wonderful tradition of dream work and so um, we do a lot of work with um, becoming lucid in dreams mm-hmm. and um, and helping to refine our consciousness within the dream space yeah that's great I mean I think some people if they do know about Gnosticism you know maybe they read something way back when they would they would probably I think for years I would have put my finger on um, you know pagan, uh, practices, right? Mm-hmm. That that seemed to be something that that belonged to Gnosticism. Yeah. Um, wh- one of the strands that's interesting to me is, and it's really emphasized by certain Gnostic teachers, and then it seems to be in the background in almost all of it is the myth of the fallen goddess Sophia. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted to read a quote, um, and you know, the the modern writer John La- Lamb Lash. You know, he goes so far as to say, without the myth of the fallen goddess, you're not really in gnosis, or you're not in Gnosticism the way that that he. But you know, it's his interpretation. But he, I think, he wants to say that it's so important to the center of wisdom that you can't go without it, right? And here, here's a quote. I think I took this from his book, but he says, "The female soul descends into the underworld, into a body where she is trapped in an evil world." 
a darkness where entities try to degrade and strip her of her divinity. Mm-hmm. We are all in this together. We have all been abused on a soul level and we have to win ourselves back. Oh, and yes. I think that it, there's so much in that quote. And one of the things that really jumps out to me is that we've all been abused on a soul level. I think some people would say, well, how is that so? But when you really look at our world and how difficult this learning has been, I mean, yeah. any spiritual master I've ever connected with or read, they basically say, this is like graduate school for spirituality. This is not easy here. One of the things I love about it is this myth deeply honors the feminine and deeply honors the feminine in our experience, Mm -hmm. as well as the earth. It sort of has this strand and it's been missing. It's not a story that's told except maybe in Gnostic circles. Yeah, I think that that's something that um, in the New Age culture, um, Mm -hmm. we kind of lost track of a little bit is that very, very deep inquietude for there to be that religare, that Mm relinking, that yoga, that that reunion there, Mm -hmm. there's that implies that there has been a split. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's, it's interesting that um, it's, and it's also sacred that um, the the pain and the struggle creates a friction that um, not only allows us to a refining file that allows us to work, but it, it creates mm-hmm. a vacuum that draws light in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's also um, has such a, there's, there's such a revealing quality to that, mm-hmm. um, that I think that, that, that to recognize that, that Sophia, um, that, that she fell, she saw, they say that she saw the false light. She saw kind of the benefits of, of the egoic, fearful nature where, you know, pride can promise us um, mm-hmm. that we're going to be somebody in the world. Anger can promise us that, that people are going to really listen to you and really respect you if you can be, you know, have this tough kind of projection going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's these kind of um, low-hanging fruit of the ego and, mm-hmm. and we could say the abyss, the, the part of us that's in the abyss that, um, that is very confusing. And most of us have tumbled and fallen. And I think it is really our nature to do that. And I, and I think that it's a testament to number one, our curiosity, our curiosity, where we want to, we have to experience there's something in us that we could even say that part of the, there's many layers of meaning to the myth of the garden of Eden, but part of it was the knowledge of good and evil, which we know that as human beings, we have the ability to reflect upon ourselves and to, to captain our experiences, but that we were very, but it also makes us very vulnerable, very yep. vulnerable to reach out for the wrong fruit, you know, really yeah, like, totally. um, so, um, Yes, and and in this day and age, there's such a there's a, a poverty of spirit, there's a confusion, and there's such an attachment to suffering, yeah. and we're taught to be attached to our suffering. There's a lot of programs that are running that mm-hmm. that are, we're just for control, and people can see yeah. that that vulnerability has been so exploited. In the second half of our interview, Janelle and I shifted gears to talk about sacred sexuality as a tool for awakening. Yeah, it's amazing listening to you talk about it because I just realized how our minds have been sort of degraded with Hollywood and porn and all these different things that yes. that it's just like, oh, it's a dirty act or it's perverse, all these different things about it that people carry around all this guilt and shame and how yeah. they were conditioned. And even if you weren't particularly religious, you could be really sort of hemmed in, like there's not a natural exploration. And for a lot of people, even saying to your partner, Hey, I would like to explore this and introduce these really 
vibrant spiritual themes like mantra into it might not be that well received. Your partner might be like, I, that just sounds so weird. I don't absolutely. I just, yeah, want, I just want you to, you know, do you know, go down on me. <laughs> just like, uh, yeah. just, I just want to have a good time. Why do I have to have a, yeah. you know, I don't know. What does it have yeah. to be all that? But, you know, in a way we're kind of seeking the furthest reaches of consciousness. Absolutely. If it's a, if it's a practice, that's really going to blow the doors off of, you know, your ascension or your impact or the way that you feel or, you know, how present you can be with everything, then why wouldn't you step into that? You know, yeah. I just don't think most people think they just think, oh, that's you're just trying to master, be a master lover, you know, in a with you know, right. in a small in a small sense, not lover yeah. with a capital L meaning lo- loving <laughs> the goddess or loving the God, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and it is, it's kind of, there's, there's something, sexuality is such a hot wire. It's like this, like kind of, just almost like the energy of a bomb that yeah. we're asking then to kind of hone in. And, and no wonder it is the key. No wonder it's the key because it's mm-hmm. the most treacherous razor's edge thing to work with. And we are sexual vital energy. Everything mm-hmm. in us is the creative force. And, and especially our, our voices and our verb, they even say this is like another womb that we have mm-hmm. here. And so mm-hmm. working with the mantra within the sexuality can just be this amazing thing but there's this idea our culture is like we're having raucous sex or we're or or this other path where we're starting to refine it is like this it's no fun it's completely Mm -hmm. aesthetic it's just like and that's absolutely not true it can be the most even more ecstatic because it's feeding your soul i mean on these levels and to be able to be open to that and to to go and transmute and work with this energy that actually has the power to create and to destroy degenerating ourselves sexually really will destroy not only our psychology, our bodies, but I mean, it can destroy even deeper into our layers. Um, however, if we can harness that power, they say the divine mother holds her sword. And part of that Kundalini and that work in the sexual energy is to actually have the energy to concentrate on the things that you're looking to purify mm-hmm. uh, and like, and, and you can actually destroy those things within the sexual act. You can purify yourself in a very deep way, yeah. you know, or some of those things can get reinforced. So it takes this amazing amount of mindfulness yeah. and it becomes this meditation. Uh, um, but at the same time, it's just as wonderful as, and fun because it's, it's love. It's love. Yeah. It's playful. It's fun. Yeah. There can be that beauty to it. Yeah. And so I know when I was first introduced to this concept, I actually... Um, I left the school for an entire month because I thought they were crazy mm-hmm. because everybody knows if you don't have an orgasm, your head's going to explode. Totally. And I was very attached to all that myself. And it's just kind of like, wow. And then, and then something inside me, something inside me, there was this inquietude that was like, you need to pay attention to that. Yeah. And so I started reading like the, the book I'll recommend later. And I, um, I, I looked more and more into it and I was like, man, this is really, this is it. Yeah. I think this is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like anything, you have to experience it. <laughs> right. I have friends that have taken uh, other spiritual paths where they don't have sex anymore. Oh, they're, yeah. They're like monks. Be- and, and I understand why. All the yeah. things we're talking about, it's like you said, it's this really rich path, Tantra, but there's pitfalls. And I think some of the schools have just said, you know, this particular people that I'm thinking of are in a Buddhist school and they're just like, there's just too many ways to fall over and not make your way towards spiritual enlightenment by engaging with sex. So they just say, that's just not, I'm just not going to do that. They just break their attachment. And, you know, I have a friend, it's like, he's not, he doesn't regret not having sex anymore. He had lots of 
you know, great sex. I think he even maybe even explored some tantric stuff when he was younger. And I think he just arrived at like, you know what, I, I kind of want to be like a monk right now yeah. and just be really clean and not mix my energy up and just really work with what I'm working with. I totally respect yeah. that because absolutely, I get it, you know? So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like as a single person, there's, there's so many pranayama and mantra and constant exercises to transmute that energy. You can work with that energy and do a lot on your own. It's, mm -hmm. it's really true. And I mean, the ultimate goal would be, you know, um, if it's the will of your own being, you know, mm -hmm. to bring that person into your life. Fantastic. But that there's there, it's absolutely wonderful to work as a single person with transmuting this sexual yeah. energy. And there's lots of methods to do so. I wanted to read one more quote and get your thoughts on it before I get your recommendations on the books. I got this from, I think it was a translation of the Nag Hammadi scripts, which were some Gnostic scriptures that were found in, I think in Egypt in clay jars, right? Mm -hmm. After World War II, they'd been buried there because they were burning the Alexandria library. They were burning yes. all the Gnostic books. And so they decided to go out in the desert and hide the rest until yeah. somebody else could find it. And one of the quotes, uh, one of the translations said, quote, the variety and diversity of the Gnostic myths show that Gnostics were expected to develop their own personal understandings and to elaborate, reimagine, or alter the myths whenever necessary. I love this quote because it it sort of speaks to um, you're going to have to be a co-creator yes. in Gnosis, and you are going to have to also be of the times that you're in. You can't right. just spout off something from 4,000 years ago. Like You're going to have right. to be current, and you're going to have to co-create it with your tribe of Gnostics, with the people that you find, with the modern day teachers that are reawakening you to ancient wisdoms. Absolutely. And you're going to also have to be kind of flexible because sometimes Gnosis will take you in some interesting directions and you're going right. to have to just double check and make sure, yes, this is for me or no, that was a charismatic teacher, but that's not for me. You're going to have yeah. to be discerning and co-created as you go. Oh, that's so well said. Yes. And what a great extraction you took from that. For me, I think Jesus one of the, is the most, one of the most amazing teachers. Well, I think he is the most amazing teacher of all time. Because, you know, as we know more and more about the life of Jesus is that um, he left at a young age and he went to India. And he, mm -hmm. he also traveled to Egypt and to Tibet. And he was being initiated into these different paths. And then back he came to his time and place, which which at the time um, the Kabbalah and the Jewish mysticism, mm -hmm. you know, was he and he took the Eastern teachings and he he um, interspersed them. And I think in the West um, or where he was at least was, uh, which was not necessarily West, but um, that there was a lot of the um, of control. There was a lot of uh, take hierarchy there was a lot of um like well let's we're going to tell you what to do and here's the practices and here's how you do it and mm -hmm. here's when and then you give us your money and we're good mm -hmm. and and in the east i believe that there's so much more of that you know the atman it's coming from within and mm -hmm. and all of these teachings he was gathering and so when he he began to teach that i think the quote that he he had is like i didn't come here to abolish the law i came mm -hmm. here to fulfill it yeah. like really the deep law and, um, and so I think that's why there was the, you know, there was, it was such a heretical notion right. was that, um, that we have to shed, you know, what, what in, in what I've come in my NASA psychology to, to term as the intermediate mind, which is the mind that's looking for all the books that all the things that are known and what people are telling me and mm -hmm. everything. And would we'll go more into the interior mind where there's that intuitive understanding and knowing 
what, mm -hmm. what those things are, allowing it to wake you, wake you up and to also have it be uniquely integrated rather than something somebody else said. Right. Right. Yeah. That's well said. That's mm -hmm. well said. Um, so you have some books that you wanted our listeners to know about? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. because it's the one I've, I've mentioned already twice, I'll say yeah. there's, um, if you want to know about or more about the sexuality, there's a woman named Marnia L. Robinson, and she wrote a book called Cupid's Poisoned Arrow. Mm. And it, this is a book that um, talks about, there's something that, that actually has been understood, not even in spiritual circles, that, um, that couples get along better, there's more, there's more, um, clarity of mind, there's more health in the body. Um, when when that orgasm is actually excluded from the sexual act where mm. there, but there's other ways she talks about other ways of connecting but what she does she takes all the science and all the studies and she puts together this kind of not super non woo woo yeah. <laughs> book for yeah. the people that are like get them out of town yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so so um yeah, that's a really exciting book to me i've given it to a lot of people it okay. really helped guide me back into that the the path that way mm -hmm. Uh, another book from I want to I did want to introduce that that my Gnostic lineage comes from a man named Samael Anwayor. He mm. was born uh, Manuel Victor Gomez. Yeah, he uh, was born in Bogota, Colombia, in 1917, and just had a you know was one of those kids that was like studying spiritual teachings at six years old. Yeah. And yeah. he and he um, connected with Rosicrucianism, and so mm -hmm. there's that. Um, that tradition as well, but then he had an understanding and and was a scientist and brought all of that into it. There's a lot of physics and science that we study as well because they're reflecting all of these principles. Yeah. And he, you know, brought the movement really took hold in Mexico and then kind of towards the uh, the middle of last century um, did come into the U.S. and is all over the world now. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a book that. Um, called Revolutionary Psychology that I think is a really wonderful way to start. And of course, he he also has a um, his synthesis and understanding of the Pisces Sophia. So if you look at the modern Gnostic Pisces Sophia, it's very interesting and very practically applied. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I, I also wanted to direct people to GnosticTeachings.org, which mm -hmm. is a, a wonderful um, website that has uh, not only um, recorded teachings and classes but a lot of great reading and if you even just go into what is gnosis on mm -hmm. that um on that website it's about a seven minute video that will just kind of give you the idea of what's going on there that's great yeah. that's great i love it well thank you so yeah. much janelle i love talking to you um i hope to have more conversations with you about this i just think it's a super interesting topic and i think that um the more that you and i chat about it the more wisdom that can come out of it between yes. us unpacking things and asking questions and looking at it I, I hope to i hope the listeners will find it interesting i think one of the things i love about gnosticism is it doesn't exclude you know it, it's not saying well you believe in christ over here so you can't be a gnostic that's not what it says it doesn't exclude right. anything right which is i yeah. think is a really attractive it's not a judging that one path is better than the, the rest. It's simply pointing to your own experience of it and saying, is this true yes. for you? Really, the this divinity that's both inside of us and continuous in the universe is a multiple perfect unity. Yeah. And so there's a celebration and embracing of diversity that it's really warms my heart. That's awesome. Well said. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on. And yeah, thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. If the topic of Gnosis is interesting to you, go to GnosticTeachings.org, or you can Google or YouTube Janelle's teacher, whose name is Samael Unwar. His last name is capital A-U-N, capital W-O-E-R.
Other famous teachers who are under the Gnostic umbrella include Rudolf Steiner, Helena Blavatsky, Alice Bailey, as well as Goethe, William Blake, Emanuel Swedenborg, and St. Germain, among others. And the Hermetic tradition or the teachings of Hermes is firmly here as well. One of our subtopics on Basecamp is the evolution of consciousness and what that looks like for you and I. Even if your own tradition is firmly in the West, my hope is that by exploring beyond our traditions, we can begin or continue to see universal truths that transcend boundaries. If we gather our resources and synthesize truths from all corners of the human experience, there very well may be creative solutions to our most perplexing challenges. I thank you for hanging in there, my listeners. I appreciate your open mind and your desire to problem solve and recognize patterns. And we'll see you next week. That's our show for today. Man, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.